Good morning. I'm delighted to be here with all of you and honored to be at St. John's, this wonderful historic place. I want to talk about um, three things today with you, and then I really want to entertain any of the questions that you have. Clark asked me to talk a little bit about what President Lincoln's cottage meant to Lincoln, why he went out there. Because of where we are, I also want to touch a bit on what religion meant to Lincoln and the role that played in his life and his presidency, and then what Lincoln means to us today. How many of you have been to President Lincoln's cottage? That's wonderful. All right, great. Um, I'll give a little bit of background for those who haven't yet. Um, President Lincoln's Cottage is in northwest Washington, D.C. It's a 256-acre campus today, which is about the size it was during Lincoln's time. It, it grew and then it contracted in the 150 years in between then and now. Um, but the eastern border is North Capitol Street. Uh, Rock Creek Church is just to the north of it. And the predecessor of Arlington National Cemetery, the U.S. Soldiers and Airmen's Home National Cemetery, is to the northeast of it. And then all the hospitals, uh, Washington Hospital, the VA Hospital, and Children's are all to the south. So it's a fairly sizable campus. President Lincoln's Cottage is um, a 2.3-acre area on the northern tip of that campus. We've been open since 2008 after an eight-year capital project. And uh, in 2000, it was declared a national monument by President Clinton in recognition of the role it played in Lincoln's life and in our national and the international story of freedom. When we first dug into research on President Lincoln's cottage during the Capitol Project, we were trying to figure out why Lincoln um, was so drawn to this place, why he continued to go out there year after year. The Lincoln family wanted to come out in the summer of 1861, but the outbreak of the Civil War, the attack on Fort Sumter, really changed their plans. So they didn't make it out until the summer of 1862, but they kept coming year after year. Lincoln didn't keep a diary, so we don't know from his words why he went out there, but we know from his actions that it was very important for him to be out there. The one time he actually writes a letter, and those of you who have been to this site might remember this, um, the first time, the only time we know he wrote a letter directly from the soldier's home in his own hand, it was a letter to Mary Lincoln who was visiting Robert up in New England, and he just said, just a couple sentences, um, that the housekeeper and the cook have want to move back to the White House because it's grown so cold at soldier's home, shall they? Um, very simple, but sort of emphasizing the fact that Lincoln was in no hurry to leave, but a lot of the household staff were starting to feel like it was just getting too cold and it was time to move back. All of the evidence um, suggests that Lincoln found some sort of sanctuary um, out at President Lincoln's cottage, but not necessarily in the way we think of sanctuary today, um, outside of a religious context, in that it wasn't really a safe place for Lincoln. It was the opposite of that, really, um, because that area where the soldier's home was was one of the least fortified, one of the most vulnerable parts of the city. And indeed, in the summer of 1864, that's where Confederate General Jubal Early attacked Washington, D.C. It was considered so dangerous out there that the Lincolns were evacuated to the White House, which was considered a safer place um, than the soldier's home. It was a strategically important point during the Civil War. It put Lincoln into contact with veterans, um, disabled veterans. There were 100 to 200 veterans who were living on the grounds while the Lincolns were there. And it's also, as I mentioned, adjacent to the first National Soldiers Cemetery. So the first summer, the Lincolns are living there. Over 1,000 soldiers are buried in plain view of Lincoln while he's making these decisions about the Civil War that are causing that, that human cost um, to the war. 
Living out there was also causing him to commute into the city on a daily basis, and that commute put him into contact with caravans of wounded soldiers returning from the front lines, and also uh, what were known as contraband camps. These are essentially refugee camps where men, uh, women and children who were formerly enslaved stayed after fleeing into the district um, to their freedom. He was seeing all these people. He was gaining this perspective from interactions with them, and that perspective seemed to be what was driving him um, out to the soldier's home. It was also considered a healthier place. Uh, it's the third highest point in Washington, D.C., which means about 300 feet above sea level in the district, so not that high by maybe standards out west, but certainly high by standards in the district. Walt Whitman uh, was living in D.C. at the time, and one of my favorite writings about Lincoln is an essay that Whitman wrote seeing Lincoln on that daily commute. And I want to read just a little part of that for you. Um, the whole essay is really beautiful, but this, I think, is one of the most telling parts where he says, I see very plainly Abraham Lincoln's dark brown face with the deep cut lines, the eyes always to me with a deep, latent sadness in the expression. And he goes on to say that no, no artist, no photographer had been able, able to capture that indirect, sad expression in his face. And he ends by saying, there is something else there. And I think that that's really what drives us to study Lincoln more, this feeling that there is something else there. The first summer um, Lincoln was living at the cottage is when he started working on the Emancipation Proclamation. And you really get this sense that because of the people he was seeing, these people who had fled into the district to their freedom, um, the soldiers who were fighting this war, that something else needed to be done. We know that Lincoln was anti-slavery um, his whole life. He makes that very clear on numerous occasions. But he also felt that his election wasn't a mandate to end slavery. But in that summer, that first summer he's living at the cottage, he really starts thinking that now might be the time. And it's also at a time when Lincoln starts making more references um, to religion. We know here that he was a regular visitor to St. John's, that he came often. We also know that the Lincolns attended uh, services at New York Avenue Presbyterian Church. Um, interestingly, Lincoln never formally joined a congregation, but as the war was pressing on and, and really uh, going on much longer than anyone thought, he was searching for meaning and reasons for why this was all happening. And at that same time, he's working on the Emancipation Proclamation. And we know that that starts happening early in that summer when he's out there. And he issues the preliminary Emancipation Proclamation while he's still living at President Lincoln's cottage. And we know from his cabinet members that while this is something that he thought was morally right, it was also considered a military necessity to really try to push this war forward and bring it to a conclusion. And it's also a moment where Lincoln says something that I think shocked a lot of the people around him who knew that he wasn't overtly religious. And it's when he said, in, making, in his decision to issue the Emancipation Proclamation, that he had made a promise to himself and to his maker that if there was a sign, he would issue the Emancipation Proclamation. And that sign wound up being the Battle of Antietam. So I think what President Lincoln's Cottage really meant to Lincoln is that it was a place of perspective, it was a place of reflection, and it was a place for him to really um, challenge his own ideas and his ideals in a way 
that would improve things for the entire country and humanity that was all around him. As I just mentioned, Lincoln never formally joined a congregation, which I think is surprising for a lot of people to hear, given how frequently he attended services in Washington, D.C. And yet we know that he attended services here more frequently than he did at any other point in his life. Um, Lincoln was born and raised on the frontier during the Second Great Awakening. And so think about what you know about Lincoln and how rational and pragmatic he was and how thoughtful. And he's being raised at a time when there's this very impassioned revivalist um, brand of Christianity that's out there. And Lincoln didn't really buy into that brand of Christianity, it seems. Um, about 100 years on the Lincoln Centennial in 1909, there was um, a wonderful sort of retrospective series of articles done. And I loved the title of one was called Lincoln's Awakened Ambition, which is a great play on the Second Great Awakening. Um, and in it, the author draws a little bit from Lincoln's own autobiography and um, and make some conclusions about Lincoln himself. So I wanted to read a little bit of that for you. This is from Lincoln's autobiography, talking about where he grew up. It was a wild region with many bears and other wild animals in the woods. There I grew up. There were some schools, so, but no qualification was ever required of a teacher beyond reading, writing, and ciphering to the rule of three. If a straggler to understand Latin happened to sojourn in the neighborhood, he was looked upon as a wizard. There was absolutely nothing to excite ambition for education. And then the article goes on to say and to conclude, so wrote Lincoln in his own sketch. Nevertheless, it was in those backwoods of Indiana that the ambition of Lincoln was awakened. In private moments at the cottage, um, we get a, a, another sense of Lincoln coming around from this very skeptical standpoint of his youth to embracing um, what, he was, what he was reading in the Bible as an explanation or in seeking an answer um, for why the Civil War was happening. One of his lifelong friends, Joshua Speed, visited him out there and found him, stumbled upon him reading from the Bible and teased him a little bit because of all of their conversations in their youth and their um, skepticism about religion and Christianity. And Speed teased Lincoln about reading the Bible. And Lincoln replied, you are wrong, Speed. Take all of this book upon reason that you can and the balance on faith, and you will live and die a happier and better man. But he still wasn't fully giving himself into this because also um, while he was living at the cottage in 1863, he was meeting with a lot of ministers and a lot of them actually claimed to have influenced his views on the Emancipation Proclamation in the years before. But at one point he says to them, sometimes in my difficulties I have been driven to the last resort to say God is still my only hope. So you get this sense that he's still having some internal struggles about what this all means and about what the answers are and where the answers can be found. He went on searching, we know, um, his entire presidency for really understanding why this war was happening. And 
Mary Lincoln was doing her own searching, um, very much excuse me, caught up in the spiritualism movement that was taking place at that same time. We know that she held at least one seance out at the cottage. Um, she was still struggling very much with the death of their son, Willie Lincoln, who was the second of the Lincoln sons to die. Also, many of her own family members who were fighting for the Confederacy, whom she couldn't publicly mourn. Um, many people were still criticizing Mary Lincoln and um, speculating that she might actually be a Confederate sympathizer, if not a Confederate spy. Um, so there was, you definitely get this sense that both the Lincolns are seeking and struggling and looking for answers that they um, aren't really able to find. We know that towards the end of Lincoln's administration, um, he'd, came around, he'd come around to an answer of some sorts as to why this war was happening and, and what it all meant. And um, those words come out in the second inaugural address, which I assume many of you are familiar with. But I want to read a little bit of that, too, just because of how, I think, intense the language is around it. And that you can tell that Lincoln is not only drawing directly on scripture, um, but wording it in a way that mirrors that. In speaking about the Civil War in his second inaugural, he said, Yet, if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsmen's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said. He says, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then he goes on with those words that everyone knows, with malice toward, for none, with charity for all, let us strive on to finish the work we are in. Lincoln very much saw the Civil War not necessarily as the end of our work, um, but in some ways a midpoint, a milestone, um, a reckoning on the country that still needed to be continued. This concept of unfinished work is something that Lincoln draws on several times, most notably in the Gettysburg Address, where he literally says that we have unfinished work and that, we, um, and that the country itself, this is the midpoint of the Civil War, had much more to do and much more to reckon with. At President Lincoln's cottage, and this gets to, I think, what Lincoln means for us today, we try to operate as a place of learning and new perspectives. Um, we're still learning about Abraham Lincoln, which I think is one thing that makes him exceptionally relevant to all of us. There's still more to be learned. And he embodies the promises of our country. Um, you know, he himself says that one of the reasons this war is worth fighting for is that this democracy is really an incredible jewel. There was nothing like it at that time um, on the whole face of the earth. It was the only representative democracy in existence. And Lincoln didn't want to see that grand experiment completely fall apart. One of Lincoln's quotes that guides our work um, is one that I think still resonates today. And it's when he is speaking of the great challenge and tragedy of the Civil War. And he says, what we do for today is not altogether for today. It is for a vast future also. And it is that idea that we still, as a country, have a lot of work to do. Clark and I were talking a little bit before this talk about what that looks like. Um, and it looks like something different, I think, for different people. But we've been very challenged, even in the past six months, um, with things that are a direct outcome of the Civil War. 
And Lincoln provides, I think, some perspective and, and guidance. And at President Lincoln's Cottage, we tried to provide much of that as well. Because it's really not about trying to model Lincoln, but model, model the example of being open to these new perspectives and open to these different ideas and finding a place for each of us and together that serves as that sanctuary, not to hide from what's going on, but to really embrace it and find a way forward. Thank you. <laughs>